0: Your boy, and welcome to episode eighty-eight of the podcast. This is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Take a minute, rate and review us. Give us five stars. Type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast and why others will also. And if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. Also, video podcasts available now at This Is M Pod. Dot com that's this is mpod.com uh, yeah you can watch the video podcast on our website or click through to YouTube, subscribe to the channel and all those good things so uh, thanks for tuning in uh, my mm, how do I say it my presence here has been punctuated by my schoolwork and um, I promised I would be here more regularly so I'm glad to be here thanks for continuing to listen uh, I will say though summer school has been a fucking I really enjoy it, actually. I was about to say it's been a huge drag. That's not really what I mean. I, I mean something more specific, which uh, we might tease out here. But in the last couple of years, I, I, th- I, th- I think I've spent most, all of my summers in summer school. Uh, and it, I, I've also, um, I, I took an session where I took like a whole semester's worth of like anthropology in like four weeks. And uh, I actually really enjoy it. It's actually how I prefer to take a class. And if it were possible... I think you could do the whole semester that way. I mean, if you take three classes a semester, if you just did each one for six weeks, I think that's probably like the perfect way to take a class. I mean, why do we have to do three at the same time concurrently and spread them out over, what is it? 18 weeks. When really you can just do one for six weeks, do calculus for six weeks, do ASL for six weeks, do, um, what else did I take? (laughs) Research methods for psychology, take that for six weeks. Uh, Just dive into the topic. It's just, it's much better in terms of your time, I find. And um, I I think I prefer learning that way. Maybe it's also just particularly well suited for a language. Um, But you definitely feel like you're, you know, you you give all your focus to one thing. And you feel a little possessed by the topic at the time. So right now, it's like, I'm always thinking about Chinese. I'm always, like, I go to bed thinking about it. Sometimes I lay in bed thinking about vocabulary or whatever the case may be, and uh, I wake up thinking about vocabulary. It's like, I th- I, I'm like, I, I had my first test, which I did very well on, by the way. But afterwards, there were, you know, there was like a listening component, there was um, uh, reading comprehension, there was even a part where you had to actually write in Chinese and Chinese characters and take a photo and upload it to the test, which was kind of interesting. I think I made one error on that, but um, uh, but there was one part when I, when I got my grade returned to me, which is a great part about taking tests online, actually, is unless there are parts that needed to be graded later, like the written portion, the teacher has to see it. For the most part, you get your grade right away, so there's no suspense, really. You have a pretty good general sense of how you did on the test. Um, there were two things I got wrong uh, as it was returned to me. And one of them, I was very confident I had the correct answer, which happens. It's actually, it's one thing no one really told me, but I learned my first semester going back to school, is if you're ever in doubt, it really is worth your time to review each test or assignment that's graded. And if there are any errors, bring it to the teacher's attention because they're human, they make mistakes. And, you know, there are plenty of times where it doesn't make a difference. Like if it's between the difference, if it, if it means the difference between you getting a 96 and a 97 on a test, then it really doesn't matter. But if it means the difference between getting an 89 and a 90 or whatever, that can make a huge difference. I mean, I, oh, by the way, sorry, I'm just congratulating myself here at the start of the semester, but, or at the start of the episode here, but, um, my final grades are in for last semester and I got straight A's. So, um, it felt, uh, I didn't really see how it was going to come together. I kind of hoped it would come together that way. But, uh, that means that the last two years that I've spent in school, uh, I was able to get straight A's, which is, you know, I'm not saying I'm the only person in the world to do that. Many people are, are great students. And in some ways, it's kind of what you're supposed to be doing. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you ever do anything, you're supposed to do the best that you can at it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I'm i not saying there's huge cause for celebration as much as for someone who used to be a formerly pretty shitty student. Not a not smart guy, but certainly a bad student. Um, very fulfilling to look back and go back to school and especially feeling like I, I was really concerned when I went back to school that I would be like halfway through the first semester and feel like, what the fuck am I doing here? And feel very unmotivated and, and kind of see myself failing at something, you know, um, not because I couldn't do it, but because I, I couldn't, you know, I, wouldn't, I, I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to find whatever energy or focus I needed to do it well. I thought it was just going to be a huge drag. And there are many things about it that suck. You know, I've had some teachers I don't like, not too many, thankfully. Um, but it's been really fulfilling to have those challenges in school, like take calculus or even Chinese now. I mean, thankfully, I really I actually really enjoy it. But um, you know, to be faced with moments where I was like I really don't want to do this. I would much rather I would much rather watch Netflix or something. Um, you know, Netflix was not a thing when I was formerly a student, but it would be like watching movies. You know, I was obviously, I've always been a huge film buff, fan of music. And when I was formerly going to school, it's like I was taking music classes, which is an area of interest of mine. But I, I just, if if it was a homework assignment, I couldn't bring myself to do it. You know, I was taking music theory and yada, yada, yada. Um, But I would spend all of my time going to the university of Arizona music library and just like taking out scores and records and CDs and like uploading them to my computer and like listening to music and like following along in the score. And so I was accumulating this vast knowledge of like the music repertoire. And when it came to talking about composers, I, I certainly knew more of their music than a lot of my peers, but I wasn't doing the work itself. And, uh, I was kind of tortured by that for a long time. I, I, uh, I don't know what it was, but it was like, uh, I mean, there were so many semesters, especially I was taking private piano lessons and there was probably like three or four semesters where, you know, the, the semester culminates in a recital. And I just gave a few of those, but there about three or four semesters were about three quarters of the way through it it was clear to me and my instructor that I was not going to be prepared for this performance. So he would do me the favor of basically changing my course registration so that I, so that I wouldn't not meet the requirements of the class I was enrolled in. He would basically change it from like, you know, private piano as a music major to just general, you know, private piano class credit. And, um, and I look back on that time period, and I think the adults in my life, my teachers, I don't think they really... I mean, I, I, who knows how... I didn't even know what I was going through at the time, but I think they must have just um, thought... I don't know. I think they they must have seen I was going through something or that I was struggling in a way that even I wasn't aware of. I mean, I knew I was unhappy, but I think I thought I was kind of fooling people. You know, I thought I was getting by on in, in some way, which I know sounds crazy. I mean, I'm not meeting my um obligations. I'm not really a, a very strong student, but I I think I was getting by on charm and personality. And I think people liked me at the end of the day. And I think people saw something in me, some type of charisma, maybe even some talent. That they didn't um I don't know. There were some people, like and you you see this at junior college especially, there are some people who are just like burnout and you wonder what the fuck they're doing there and they're wasting their time and they don't even want to be there. And they're just kind of half-baked. And so even though my performance was not phenomenal, I think I had a, I don't know, maybe a certain personality a charisma that people sort of, I don't want to say forgave my bad academic performance, but there was something else going on. I, and, and maybe it was something they related to, honestly. I mean, one of the cool parts about getting older is you see yourself in younger people and you kind of see them kind of wrestling through the same hall of mirrors that you were sort of lost in for a long time. Um, I mean, even my experience now as a crisis line counselor, I think in some ways you intuitively hope it happens, but you don't really, you can't really anticipate what it feels like until you experience it, which is, you hope on some level that you connect with somebody who's a lot like you were at another time in your life. And you, not that you can fix their situation for them or, or or even impart some kind of sage wisdom to them, but you just be a witness to where they're at. And you try to be a voice in their life that maybe they don't even have the capacity to hear you at this point. and And many times they don't. Um, but you just hope that you plant a seed. You know, religious people talk about this, you know, when it comes to like being evangelical. And, uh, you know, I know uh, with, with Christianity and stuff, the planting a seed and the, all that stuff is a kind of an overused metaphor, but I, it, it makes sense. If that's your bag and that's your goal, it, it does make sense. You just try to live in the world as you hope to be and speak the gospel or whatever it is. And you just, you never know what seeds you're planting. And that's true with everything. It doesn't mean Christianity is imbued with some kind of magical woo-woo whatever. We can always be, no matter what our values are, we can be a living example of them, and we we never know what kind of impact we're having on the people that we come into contact with. You know, a, a brief experience with us can just sort of get the ball rolling that sort of gains momentum over time. Uh, not that they'll call you up ten years from now and say, "Hey, you changed my life," but um, <laughs> who knows? That's what life is, right? It's just an accretion of uh, of experiences that eventually form us, like water. Like the Grand Canyon just began with a drop of water, and over time it just carved a valley. Okay, anyway, the point I'm trying to make is, I don't know where I'm going exactly, but as I'm talking about this, you know, and, and thinking of myself as this sort of waffling, lost young person at junior college, I, and, and thinking that people saw something about me I didn't see about myself, I remember my, the head of the music program, I believe she was the head, wonderful woman. I, I feel weird saying her name, but I'll say it anyway. Her name is Eileen Perry, a very talented piano player and uh, just influential. I don't know why. She just had an impact on me. I always thought she was very, I don't know, very strong and um, just an interesting person in my life and was very generous with me uh, and a good teacher. Um, and I remember one time, I think maybe after my second year there, she she said to me very kind of thoughtfully, And it kind of took me back when she said it, but she was like, maybe you're in the wrong major. And I was like, but this person doesn't even know me. How could they say that, you know? And I should have taken it as a challenge um, to kind of do better, but I I didn't have that capacity in my life. Um, I felt, uh, in that moment, I felt really misunderstood. But now I look back and I think, of course she was saying that. She was trying to help me. My performance wasn't what it was. In some ways... I'm sort of, I'm definitely projecting on their situation, but it's the type of thing that I, when I think of myself as an adult, observing younger people, you know, you see people trying to, when people continue to struggle with something that they're not surmounting, it's usually because they're not meant to do that. Or if they are, they definitely, they clearly don't have the skill set to do it in this moment. They kind of need to give themselves permission to do something else. You know, you're constantly trying to, Fit this square peg in a round hole. <laughs> I had to reach for that one. You're always trying to fit the square peg in the round hole. It's because it's never going to fit at least at least not right now, it's not. You need to give your attention to something else and come back to this if it's something that you really want to do. And I guess when I think about that, the same thing could be said of my entire <laughs> academic experience. I mean, there were some classes that I did do well at. Ooh, and I hadn't really thought about this, but maybe this means something in terms of where I'm directing my interests to currently. And and frankly, how I always have been, but I was always great at English. You know, it was never a problem for me to do my reading for English or writing class or to do writing assignments. I mean, I remember having a writing assignment, I have this very vivid memory, even of me sitting in the University of Arizona Music Library working on an English assignment when I should have been doing, I'm sure, some theory analysis, probably uh, analyzing Des Reingold by Wagner or something like that. But I remember sitting in the back of the University of Arizona Music Library and reading The Stranger for like the sixth time and writing like my fourth paper on it or whatever, and like reading another translation and whatever it was. But um, So, there were classes I was giving my time to, and reading was one of them. I remember... Actually, in that same class, reading *The Glass Menagerie*, um, which I had read before, uh, obviously as like a being an actor in another life, but reading it for school for the first time. And actually, I don't know if I want to give this stuff away all the time, but that's uh, where the phrase "gentleman caller" comes from for me. Um, if you've been a fan of my music for a while, you know that the um, my most recent uh, playlist or collection of songs from 2000, I guess 19, it was uh, I titled gentleman caller. It comes from the Glass Menagerie. Um, But uh, what was I talking about? Eileen Perry telling me I was in the wrong major. Yeah, maybe this idea of needing to focus on other things for a while, giving yourself permission to focus on other things for a while. Um, Yeah, and also just thinking about teachers. Well, one, another embarrassing story first, but um, I remember... Sometimes I'll tell my girlfriend, like, you don't realize, like, who I was (laughs) in other chapters of my life. Like, I remember being in concert band. You know, I played percussion for concert band. I could barely read, like, or I could read, like, drumming stuff. I could read rhythms and stuff. But when it came to, like, playing mallet instruments, I'd always just hand them out to the other people and be like, you're playing that part. I'm playing the fucking snare drum or the bass drum or the cymbals or something. I remember we had a concert. And actually, it was a concert I was looking forward to. I got to play the gong. We were playing uh, Mars from Gustav Holtz The Planets, and I got to play the gong, which was like fucking super rad for me at the time. But I was also in this place where I was working overnights at this racket club, this 24-hour racket club. I was I would clock on at 10 p.m. and get off at 7 a.m. I would spend the whole night reading. You know, I remember reading like George Louis Borges and like uh, Homer, like the Iliad of the Odyssey, I read Virgil's The Aeneid, I read Bullfinch's Mythology, I read just, I read theology, I read novels, I mean, I just read all types of stuff. And at the time, it was like the best gig I ever had, I thought I could do it for the rest of my life. Actually, sorry, quick aside, I was, uh, around that time as I was languishing at junior college, I remember that I was also spending a lot of time with religious groups, and I, you've heard me talk about it, I spent a lot of time with the Mormons, I uh, poked my head into a Scientology center. I, I, I've always had this lifelong interest in religion, but I've always taken like an anthropological sociological interest in it and wanting to spend time with these people and see what makes them tick and all that sort of stuff. And so there was a period where I, where I thought, well, maybe I'll study religion. Like maybe I'll, I'll be some type of biblical scholar or something. And I remember I enrolled in an old Testament class and I think it was actually in the summer. And I remember the teacher was this very, um, Rotund, bushy bearded, unkempt, bookish, dusty type of dude, right? He, you just pictured him living in like a studio apartment, just with like wet newspaper and like stacks of of books in like Greek and Aramaic and like studying the Bible. And he, in a way, he's like a lot of in the Bay Area, like in an area like Berkeley, you see a lot of these dudes who are way they almost seem overeducated, and they spent way too much time alone. And they have this sort of nervous, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I think it means asexual. They're kind of neutered, nervous, academic dudes who have spent way too much time alone. They seem like untethered from reality, but they have like read every novel in existence. It's probably where I'm headed, honestly, in my life. But um, that's who this guy was teaching this Old Testament class. And I remember, like, kind of bending his ear after class one day and saying, you know, this is a topic I'm really kind of interested in. Like, what what if you wanted to study this? Like, what, what like, what does religious studies look like or something? And he basically was like, he started talking about, well, you know, you have to know that it's, you know, it's not going to be a high paying gig, but it has to be a topic you're really interested in and yada, yada, yada. And he, he asked me, he's like, oh, do you work? And I was like, yeah, I work at this racket club. It's an overnight gig and he went, oh, are, are, are you guys hiring? And it was like, in that moment, I knew I'm not going to study religion. <laughs> the fact that my teacher was asking me the place I was working at, which was a job I enjoyed, but I also realized it was a, you know, it was a gig for a college kid, you know? Um, the fact that he was asking me if they were hiring, it was like the cosmos telling me, is this who you want to be? And no offense to the guy, it's just not who I wanted to be. So that was a very telling experience. But, but anyway, back to this, I was talking about this concert I was giving in concert band. Um, around that time, I was working overnights. I was just living this nocturnal existence. I was smoking like two and a half packs of cigarettes a day. I was not socializing. I was like very hermetic. I was living this cloistered life like in my, uh, uh, I mean, compared to the Bay Area, it was like a palatial estate in Tucson, Arizona. It was a two-bedroom, two-bedroom, bedroom, uh, two two-bathroom duplex. And that one of the the second bedroom was like my my art cave. It was like where I recorded music and where I listened to music and like would pour over these scores and like watch movies and like just light cigarettes one off the other. And um. And I just was like I'd be up all night. I'd bike like four miles to class in Tucson because I didn't have a driver's license at the time. Bike home and it was just it was just a horrible <laughs> horrible hot sweaty time in my life. And uh, I remember we had this concert. So after school, usually I would come home in the afternoon and sleep for a couple hours, either before going to work or spending the night listening to music or watching movies or whatever the fuck it was. I was frequently up all night many times, whether I was working or not. And I remember we had a concert that evening, and I don't know how it happened, but I remember waking up on my living room floor. I was probably laying down doing something, maybe reading a book. I don't know what I was doing, but I had fallen asleep on the floor And I wake up with a start, and I look at my, probably my cell phone, my old Nokia phone uh, clock, and we had a concert starting in like 30 minutes. And I like hopped in my truck, I sped, or actually, how did I get there? I must have biked. I could have had my truck at the time. This, This four and a half years or whatever was just a blur, so I can't really place things in time accurately. But the point is, is that I at, when I finally got to the concert, which was on campus, I walked on stage as the concert was beginning, like out of a movie. The conductor was at the podium. Everybody was on stage, and thankfully, I was in the percussion section. It wasn't like I needed to take a seat, like as the second tuba, or like walk, you know, through any aisles. I just had to enter stage, and I was standing in the percussion section. And I remember walking on stage and the conductor like having his hands raised about to start the piece and seeing me and giving me this look like what the fuck and I just gave him like a, what are you gonna do and so just started playing the concert you know I'm glad I woke up when I did or that I got there when I did it was like I mean no harm no foul I guess but it did require me like going into his office and just apologizing profusely like the next day or whatever, the next time I, I was at school. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you ever wanted an example of someone just being like, what the fuck is going on with this kid? I mean, it was just a fucking nightmare. And, um, <laughs> actually kind of, I mean, I think I've told this story. Actually, we have a listener of this uh, podcast who was a, a fellow student of mine around that time. So, I don't know if he hears these stories and he goes, yep, that's exactly how this guy was. Or if he, maybe there's something about uh, my life at that time that was not apparent to other people. I don't know. But uh, he knows exactly what I'm talking about. And I feel like he brought this, uh, I think I may have referenced this on the, on the podcast before because uh, he and I are still in touch and he, he checks in with me. But I do remember that person, that that band director. I remember one time standing in the wings about to go on for a recital. And I remember him walking into my music class at another time i was taking this history of western music class and you learn about the the form of the mass right many composers like akagum and a lot of people uh, in organum and like old gregorian chant like would write masses that had a specific form and there was the ordinary form and the extraordinary form and i remember just he poked his head in for some other reason and the the teacher just sort of as a sort of a joke or a test said hey do you remember the form or do you remember the um the movements of the extraordinary form of the mass or the ordinary form. And so he just rattled them off perfectly. And the teacher was like, there you go. Perfect. And I remember I was standing in the wings for my piano recital and he happened to be in the wings, like opening the door for students or whatever. And I remember telling him, I was like, Hey, that was really impressive when you stuck your head in the door and, and you just knew all the, the forms in the mass. And he just looks at me and says, well, you know, they don't just hand out doctorates in music. And I was like, oh, 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 okay. Whew. salty, man. That's always stuck with me. I don't know what it means. I don't, I don't, I still haven't quite unwrapped it, but it was, uh, it just, uh, he was absolutely right. And I never wanted to be that person. It actually reminds me. And um, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I should say their name. I guess it doesn't really matter, right? There's an author named Jaron Lanier. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. It could be like Linier or something like that. He wrote a book called You Are Not a Gadget. He's probably written a few more books as well, but that's the one that I probably, maybe, maybe even the most popular, but I did, I remember years ago, I read that book and I enjoyed it. And, um, he happens to live locally and there was this, uh, there still is this Mexican restaurant in, uh, in Berkeley again on, uh, university in Sacramento ish area. And it's a Mexican restaurant called Monte Cristo. It's a very good place. If you're ever in the area, check them out. Uh, but they're open till like midnight. They're kind of open late and I haven't been there in probably like seven years. I probably should get another burrito from there sometime. But the point is, is I was getting takeout from Monte Cristo and I remember standing in line and I just sort of look over and I see Jaron Lanier and he's sitting there with like a suitcase and he's just like, you know, digging into his food he's kind of a big guy. He's got like dreadlocks. And, uh, so he's very identifiable is what I'm trying to say. And, uh, I got my food and I'm on my way out the door. I say, you know, I'm really sorry, but do you mind if I ask, are you Jerry Lanier? And he just looks at me and says, not today. And I was like, okay. And I get it you know, you're a public persona. People recognize you. You don't want to be bothered all the time. Maybe he just flew in. He doesn't want to be bothered, but it just, uh, it always stuck to me because I I knew how that made me feel. It made me feel shitty. And I guess, Hey, that's okay. Like sometimes people make you feel shitty and it has nothing to do with them. It's just, you're bothering them. Right. And they want to be left alone. It's like, Oh, it's like an attractive girl sitting in a bar. I get it. You walk up, you want to talk to her, but maybe she's just, sorry. I just punched the mic. Maybe she doesn't want you to talk to her. She wants to be left the fuck alone, and a lot of people just bother her, and it's like she's totally within her rights, and Lanier is totally within their rights to say, hey, I don't want to talk to you, but it just, it, it just, for me, it's said I don't want to be that person in another moment, you know? I, I guess maybe he could have just said that. Hey, you know what I am? Hey, thanks for saying hello, but I, honestly, I'm meeting my meal. I just, I want to be left alone, if that's okay, and I would have been like, you got it, man, um, but I remember just leaving and going like, okay, Uh, but, oh yeah, bringing it back to the teacher. Yeah. Whatever he said, you know, they don't just hand out doctorates in music. I was like, okay, well, I don't really want to make people feel like this at another time in my life. If somebody compliments me, I don't want to make them feel (laughs) like shitty or, or as if uh, I was somehow insulting him by complimenting him or something like that. Um, the other moment that really stands out for me where I realized people probably saw me differently than I thought they were perceiving me, One, I'm just embarrassed when I think about my piano teacher, the amount of times I can't fucking believe it. The amount of times I showed up sitting down for my piano lesson, having not practiced. Like how did I, sitting there for like a half an hour at a time, not improving at all and just sitting through it. Like this is what I'm doing every week. Every week it was just a fucking nightmare that I dreaded looking, just sitting down and like not being any better, clearly not having done the work, especially when you're in a place in your life where you know what the work looks like and actually how easy it is. You know, as long as you make time, you make progress, you know, and it does it's not even that fucking hard. You just give your time to it. It's like working out. You just start doing it and you're doing it and you improve and you just have to keep linking those together. Um, so I guess I'm saying two things at the same time. I'm, I'm sympathetic because I know what it's like. And if I'm dealing with younger people, I think you would recognize what part of their life that they're in. Um, but I do remember around that time, there was one teacher I was working with who was kind of helping me workshop songs. I would also frequently not show show up prepared to our lessons as well, but, uh, still kind of like a formative influence. You know, I know I've told the story about how I met him. Um, But basically he was like uh, my first music theory teacher who invited me out to his little sort of studio to to sort of show him my songs and to work on them and and just kind of foment or uh, ferment or facilitate my early creative development or whatnot. And I remember at near the end of our time, I believe he was, it was either around the time I was leaving the area or he may have left shortly before I did. But I remember at our last meeting together, I can picture myself in his studio And asking him very earnestly, like very earnestly, I like I want you to be honest with me. You know, do you think I have what it takes to like do this to like be successful, like as a songwriter? And there was a pause, and I said, I want you to be honest with me because I have pretty thick skin. I, I I can take it. And he just very poignantly said, I'm not sure if that's true. And what he meant was that I don't that I have thick skin, and that always stuck with me. And I didn't know what it meant at the time. But but he very quickly followed it up with, "Yes, I do. I think you're very talented. I think this is absolutely something that you could do." Um, I don't think either of us really knew what that meant at the time, what it would take to do that, and how much of it was outside of my control. But I think he was trying to let me know, like, "Hey, yeah, this is something you can get yourself to like do. I think you have the talent, right? There's something here." So. That was very fulfilling. But the part that really has stuck with me is his sort of poignant, I'm not sure that that's true. And we didn't really explore it. But I also remember how that landed with me at the time. And like, I didn't really want to sit with that, you know? But it shows me that he saw me, he had a more objective perspective on me than I did. You know, I just, I just, you know, when you're younger, you, I think you feel like you can just say things about yourself and they're true. Like you see this with uh you see it with adults too but you see it with young people as well. Like people just decide who they're going to be. You know? It's like uh I think part of this is like the like self-branding or something. It's like because you have a DSLR and you like films, you just start a YouTube channel about like you're analyzing films and like talking about why directors made decisions they did, but you're you don't really have any expertise you know, you just present yourself as knowledgeable on a topic. You just decide that you know how to do things that honestly you don't really know how to do. Like, I feel like, I feel, I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but it's like survival experts. Like, I feel like there's a lot of people who could just like, cause they just, dis- they think that they can survive in the woods or they can buy the right gear. They buy the right knife or they have the right tent or they have a fucking REI membership card or whatever the fuck it is. They think that they're like survivalists, They think they have skills that they don't really have. They could have a terrible sense of direction, but they start espousing knowledge that they don't really have. It's a very juvenile quality, right? As if we can just sort of will ourselves into being the thing that we want to be, as if it doesn't take experience and talent and time and cultivation and development. Um, People carry that into their adult life as well. But certainly as a kid, I I think... there are times where you just make declarative statements about yourself. Like, oh, I have thick skin. And you're sitting across from someone who has seen you probably struggle with yourself for the last, like, two or three years. And who knows? I don't know anything about this person. Maybe they've had similar times in their own life. Maybe that was why they were endeared to me. I don't know. But, um... Where am I going with all this? Maybe... uh Maybe this is too abrupt, but I, I think we got into all this because I was saying now that I've returned to school and I've spent the last two years working, I'm always hard on myself. I guess I could do more. Actually, this is in, we'll, we'll talk about this actually, if we, if we get, if we get to it, if I don't get sidetracked, sidetracked. But, um, as, as someone who's been working hard for the last two years and, uh, been able to get straight A's, I feel, uh. I feel good. I feel like I'm at where I should have been at that time. But I'm not sure that's really the real Jedi perspective. I, I think we are, we're always just at where we're at. And uh, I certainly think I had the potential to be a strong student at that time, but, but there were good I think because I wasn't, there were good reasons. Not that I'm happy about them, not that I wish them on other people. And maybe I'm trying to weave in this idea of my teacher saying, maybe you're in the wrong major. I think I was actually, I, you know, but by, by virtue of the fact that I very soon moved to another part of the country and started life over, I think sometimes you have to give yourself permission to do something else. Um, there's some development or journey. There's another place that you need. And I'm saying this in quotes that you need to be right. There's other work that has to be done. And, uh, you know, I've talked about this a lot, but, um, you know, this, I, the, 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 many of the most painful parts of my life and chapters of my life, the, you know, some of the most painful and protracted periods of my life was times where I was forcing myself to be something I, I couldn't bring myself to be and thinking that's what I'm supposed to be. If my, my salvation or my development, will, the culmination of that will be me doing this thing. And at the time when I was struggling as a student, it was like getting this done, doing this responsibility. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I couldn't bring myself to do it. And I was fucking tortured. And, uh, for years I, I carried that with me and even into originally into therapy, it was like, I should be doing X, Y, and Z. And I am now, uh, paying this person like a personal trainer to hold me accountable to these goals and to like help you know, mold me into the shape of a person who can finally be the thing he's supposed to be. And the plot twist of therapy is like, actually, maybe let those things go. You know, give yourself permission to do the things you actually see yourself doing. You know, how do you enjoy spending your time? What do you want to do? You know, and at first it feels like, it feels like danger. That person feels like the fucking devil. You know, I had a moment in therapy recently where I said, you know, there's a part of me that's scared when we have these types of conversations because I think, wow, who does this person, where are they leading me? And she said, well, I'm not really leading you anywhere. I'm just listening to what you're saying and I'm just responding to it, you know? And now I'm definitely going off on a limb. <laughs> I'm going out of the book, and I'm going on a limb, but I had an interesting moment and uh, this goes into the I Ching and astrology and all this sort of stuff, but I have a coworker of mine who is, for some reason, is very interested in the fact that I'm interested in the I Ching, uh, and I'm, I don't pretend to know what it is. But she frequently asks me, "Have you consulted the I Ching, or what does the I Ching have to say about X, Y, or Z?" And so I, uh, my relationship, I, I haven't really, I haven't really looked at the I Ching seriously in a long time. Actually, probably like a, at least a year. But. As these conversations have happened recently, I've looked at it a little bit, and so I've consulted it very differently. So traditionally, you consult the I Ching by throwing coins, or even more traditionally, you manipulate yarrow stalks, like just imagine like little bamboo twigs, and um, you use them, you manipulate them in a very specific way so that you, you know, um, basically a hexagram, which is one of the signs of the I Ching, is, is built by by virtue of the system of whatever or throwing coins, or whatever. But, you know, I'm not a, I don't really believe in the metaphysical powers of the I Ching or Yarrow stocks, so I tend to believe, like, any meaningful system, like astrology, or any kind of divination, if you just crack open the I Ching, or pull out a random card in the tarot, and just let it tell you, or or even, like, a, you could open up to a random page, and we're in peace, and start reading, you can find meaning there right? And so what I was saying to this colleague is, I forget how we got onto the topic, but she, I think she was saying, you know, sometimes I, I find like astrology, which was their sy- preferred system of thinking or, or divination or whatever, you know, it, it, it's like a compass when we're feeling lost, it can help give us direction. And I said, very apropos of our conversation, I said that, I think that's true. I think that that's what people experience. They, they, they feel like it gives them direction when they feel lost, But I also believe that what we're really doing is looking to this system and our interpretation of it to give us permission to do what we already wanted to do. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if that really registered. I I know she asked, well, what does that mean exactly? And I think work came up and we didn't have time to really pursue it. But she sent me this video link of an astrology reading that someone had done recently on YouTube. And it's actually a very cool format, which is you start and they have like three piles of cards, and you picked one, you pick one, and depending on what you pick, you fast forward to that period of the the video, where he does a reading from that portion of the deck. And very interesting, like very intriguing, charismatic YouTuber, he's this presumably gay man, who signs while he speaks, and he's very like, I don't know. He's very charismatic and funny, and brings a lot of his personality. But he's also—he's a very confident. Del- his delivery is very confident. He—I don't know a lot about astrology or or, um, or tarot. Sorry, I think I keep saying astrology when I mean tarot. But he says a—he lo- uh, seems to know tarot very well, and so he speaks very confidently. And as I was listening to this reading, I, it seemed like spot on, right? And the, and I don't believe in the metaphysical, like woo woo stuff of astrology. But like the I Ching, I do understand engaging with a system of symbols that seems to resonate with you, and as you engage with it, it seems to be seeing your life or providing insight into your life that feels supernatural. Now, the truth is, is if you actually engage with the system on a daily basis, there's mm, probably as many times as not that you get gobbledygook, especially out of something like the I Ching. I mean, she asked me to consult it, and I remember opening up, I uh, often use the um, the Wilhelm slash Baines translation of the I Ching, which I think is probably one of the most popular in America. It certainly was when it first, like in the, when the I Ching was like a really big part of the counterculture, I'm sure that's the translation that most people used, but there's a lot of supplementary material, and even the each the text of the I Ching itself is actually very scarce, and most of the book is interstitial commentary and interpretation and yada, yada, yada. But I open up to the middle of the book, and it's actually, I open up to the introduction of some of the supplementary material. And the author says, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like, isn't it capricious to find a deep philosophy in a system of symbols that is a bunch of gobbledygook? You know, it was obviously a rhetorical question, and I'm sure he goes on to explain why it's not nonsense, why, you know, the I Ching is a... Um, deep system of philosophy. Um, and I think some of that's true. I also think a fair amount of it is gobbledygook, especially to Western readers. And like anything, it's just an accretion of text over thousands of years that have meant different things to different people at different times. And some of it is very interestingly cohesive and some of it is just arbitrary. And, and some of the, the real meaning is just lost in antiquity. It just doesn't make sense to modern readers. We're we're just seeing it through a fucking, cracked mirror and and interpreting it with our modern eyes. The 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 mind that f- the mind that made these texts worked very differently than ours. I mean maybe I'm overemphasizing this, but very literally saw the world in a completely different way. Completely different way. Experienced themselves, had a very different self-concept and cosmic perspective and whatever. So it's whatever it meant to them, it's just we're not gonna read it the same way. Um doesn't mean it's useless, just means we're kidding ourselves if we think this is some perfectly unified magic system of symbols that will uh, have constant meaning, unchanging. By by the way, it's called the Book of Changes, (laughs) and the only thing inevitable is change. But anyway, where the fuck am I going with this? So this tarot reading, I don't know, this tarot reading seemed to be spot on. But in a sense, even though I didn't have the time or the whatever to communicate this to her... My experience of this astrology or this, uh, sorry, this tarot reading was my point exactly, which is, I don't believe this, per, I don't, this person, these cards that this person is doing my tarot reading with were manufactured in a factory and there is f- tens of thousands of decks just like it. The same way my I Ching just came off a fucking printing press. You know, it's like in full metal jacket, like this is my rifle, this is my gun, there are many like it, but this one is mine. Like that's what your book is. That is what your tarot deck is. It's just, it's like anything, it's like any other manufactured commodity, right? Um, there's nothing actually magical about it. It's, it's really the imagination and the ability of the person to find meaning in the reading or the book or whatever it is. And, uh, that's really what's happening. And why the fuck am I talking about this? I think my point is, is that we bring it, you know, it's everything we bring to the topic and there's nothing intrinsically magical about it. I, I, and this is what I like about the I Ching. I think most people who look at it, it's going to be like, what? I mean, I, I owned a copy of the same translation of this book when I was 13, 14, maybe, actually maybe 15, 16, actually, now that I think about it. And it was nonsensical to me it was fucking nonsensical to me. I didn't understand it. Um, when I, you can go back, there's actually an episode called Book of Changes where I I tell this whole story that I'm always embarrassed to tell because I think it makes me sound fucking crazy. But when I picked that, when I, this very copy that I have, when I picked it up at the bookstore, I knew it was for me. You know, I knew I was meant to, to see this copy. I don't know what journey it took from its printing press to whose hands selling it to this used bookstore and me seeing it, but it's actually, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the full metal jacket thing. This is my rifle. This is my gun. There are many like it, but this one is mine. And in a way, when I, when I think about my life now and I think about, you know, we're all very... You know, we like buying things, you know, especially when we get into something. We think, what can I buy to help me do this thing that I'm trying to do? Uh, I've talked about this in terms of the podcast. You know, I I haven't bought anything for it. I have the same mic, I have the same... I'm not buying a camera for it, I'm just using my fucking computer for the video, and I'm just using the tools that I have. And like with Chinese, I could buy a special pen for my fucking characters, but it's like, I'm just going to use the pencils that I have and the whatever. And I'm going to use a notebook that somebody gifted me. It's like a dot journal, moleskin kind of dot, you know, I'm like a dotted instead of lines, it's like dots. And when I got it, I thought I'm never going to fucking use this. I almost gave it to my girlfriend. But of course I start thinking Chinese and I think, actually, this is perfect for practicing my characters. It's these little boxes. So now that's my book. I could have bought special calligraphy paper or whatever the fuck, but it's like, just use what you have. When things come into your life, like don't, don't like look around on Amazon and find the perfect tarot deck. Use the tarot deck that enters your life. You know what I mean. I try to adopt more of that in my life now. I'm actually in this phase now. As I look around my place, I just want to get rid of everything. <laughs> you know, I've accumulated so much garbage, useless stuff. Even books that I've read, get rid of them. Like my brother has it figured out. When he reads books now, he just goes to the library and he gets them digitally. That's the way to be, man. If a physical object is meant to come into your life, the, the, the cosmos will present it to you. <sighs> anyway, um, that's the approach I'm trying to take. Where, where the, What the fuck am I... What am I really talking about here? I was saying this is my rifle, this is my gun. There are many like it, but this one is mine. I Ching Tarot. The only other thought that was floating around, and I don't see how it's fucking relevant anymore, but this idea that... Um, we make the meaning. Actually, I I, 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 in therapy, as I was one time, like saying, like, dude, I feel like I'm fucking going crazy. I'm finding deep meaning in this fucking book, and I've been an atheist and skeptic my whole life. Why the fuck am I interested in the I Ching? Like, am I losing my fucking mind? And my therapist said, well, would you ever do and like, do you ever feel like the I Ching could tell you to do something that you didn't want to do, and you would feel like you had to do it anyway? And I was like, no. She's like, well, there you go. You're in the driver's seat. When it makes sense to you, you act on it. When it doesn't, you don't. And that's, that's, <laughs> that's kind of what it all is, right? Even people who pretend like it's not, that's, I think that's what's happening. You know, the I Ching could never say like, oh, go ahead and kill that person. And I'm like, oh shit, I don't really want to, but <laughs> I believe in the power of the I Ching, I must. Or tarot. You know, it's, it's just, we're hearing what we already think and feel, but we're, ah, this is where I'm going with that. (laughs) This is where I'm going. Now it all makes sense. We're just, we're, we're, we are, because we don't want to take responsibility. Ah, this is what I'm saying. The whole should thing. We don't want to, there are things that we want. There are things that we want to do that we just want permission to do, but we can't give ourselves permission to do it. So we have to... We have to find an external source that we sort of, um, oh, we deputize with that power to, to give us permission to do the thing that we want to do. It could be a therapist. It could be a mentor. It could be a life coach. It could be a personal trainer, anybody to tell, just tell us to do the thing that we already want to do. And I'm not necessarily saying that we could, you know, hypothetically bypass all those systems. Sorry, I'm spitting on myself. Not that we could bypass all those systems and if only we were, you know, more self-actualized that we could. I I think that's just how we're, either we're enculturated that way, we could be wired that way. I don't know what the fuck it is. But it is interesting whether it's religion or philosophy. I have, you know, we we just try to find a system of beliefs that we could sort of step into that gives us permission to be the person that we've always wanted to be. Hmm. Because we can't see ourselves getting there alone. We need Jesus. We need the archetype of Jesus to be our north star that we walk toward to be as virtuous as, we, as we'd as we always hoped we'd be or whatever it is. Or we need to fucking become, we need to adopt a keto or paleo diet to lose the weight that we can't lose ourselves. We need, well, I'm actually, these are two separate ideas, but I was about to say we need constraint. We need we need an archetype. We need something to model ourselves out there. In a way, it's kind of like like when an athlete like Michael Phelps or somebody breaks some type of record, they do something that people thought was impossible, and then the minute it's broken, everybody can do it. You know, there's just tons of people begin to do it out. It's like once someone has crossed the threshold and shown that it's possible, people do it. Now 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 all of it's it's like there's a collective like you know the phrase uh, all ships rise with the tide. It's like once someone breaks that barrier, now everybody comes pouring in. It's like a psychological barrier. Anyway, this I'm conflating a bunch of ideas here. I don't think I'm making any. This is a philosophical potpourri. You know that's going to be the fucking title of the episode too. You fucking know that's going to be the title of the episode. Philosophical potpourri. Damn. It always comes from somewhere. I never really know what it is. The last couple weeks, I feel like it's been kind of forced. But you fucking know that's going to be the title of the episode now. Woo! Oh, man, it's all good. I almost, I almost feel like we should just fucking, we should almost stop now, right? Man, I'm looking at the clock. Technically, we should still do about 10 more minutes, so let's see what we can come up with, I suppose. Um, yeah, I completely lost the fucking plot of whatever we were talking about. But I do think my girlfriend's fucking, like, thinks I'm, you know what? I think my girlfriend's fucking, like, she's so sick of me, you know? There's a couple things, a couple things here. So I was talking about grades right i've been doing'm doing really well with my grades and I frankly, I think many of you listening are sick and tired of fucking hearing about it, but let's just dig into why I keep bringing it up one on, on some level, clearly, I need to be celebrated like for my academic success like that's why I keep bringing it up right I'm also trying to big up myself in some ways, you know like um i, I look I work hard and I, I I want people to see that and I I want to be celebrated for it. Mm, Sorry, I'm human. But uh, that's just kind of where I'm at. And then um, I remember uh, my dad and I have had a strained relationship for a long time, but I'm trying to communicate with him more. So I check in with him on the weekends or whatever. Uh, Sometimes every couple, I'll I'll FaceTime him and his uh, wife, my stepmother. And um, I remember I checked in with him and and, and I'm saying this, I, I believe that my dad is genuinely happy for me in terms of my academic performance. I think he's very proud that I have done well. I think he's very happy that I got into the school I went into. But this was a microcosm of my family. And when it happened afterwards, I looked at my girlfriend and said, did you see that? It's just very common in my family. It just says a lot about how we communicate. But I remember telling my dad, I said, hey, I got my grades back for a semester. I got straight A's. So that means your boy got straight A's for the last two years. And he says, well, you know about grade inflation, right? And I was like, I'm aware of it. Yeah. He's like, yeah, over the last couple of years, like, you know, or the last whatever, how many decades, two decades, whatever. Like, yeah, everybody's getting A's now. It's, it helps the teachers feel better about, uh, their abilities or whatever. It makes them feel like they're doing a good job. I was like, okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, silly me for feeling happy about it was how I felt. I didn't say that. I mean, I agree with him, actually. I mean, uh, if I'm being completely objective about it, it's true. Grade inflation is a real thing. If you really think about it, I mean, I I guarantee you more people are getting A's and probably even B's now, when really, if the grades were really fair, most people should be getting C's, right? It should be 10 people, like 10%, sorry, not 10 people, 10% getting F's, 10% getting A's, and... I'm about to embarrass myself not being able to do the math, but you know, a little more people doing D's and B's and then the vast majority of people should just be right there ringing the bell of the bell curve, getting C's, right? I'm not sure that it happens that way. I haven't crunched the numbers, but I, I do know great inflation is a thing, but it was like, ah, very common in my family. You make an announcement like that and, and and I guess the weird thing, and maybe I don't want to talk about this, but I feel like my girlfriend is sick and tired of me like talking about how well I'm doing. And who knows? Maybe you are too. But um, I, uh, I think she's all, I, you know, being fixated on Chinese right now because I'm, I'm really like s- steeped in that right now. I mean, I have like three hours of class plus hours of homework a night, and it's all I think about. And I remember taking this test, and now I feel like I'm repeating myself. I'm sorry if I did say this at the beginning of the episode, but it's like there were two questions that I got marked wrong on. And I remember one of them was like, "Do you know what radicals are?" Like, I don't. I don't want to presume and assume you know nothing about this, but like, Japanese and Chinese, the kanji or the characters are are built conceptually. It's well, it's not always the case, but it's a way to think about it, which is the the characters seem very complex, but many times not infrequently. They are built of radicals, which are basically these fundamental characters that get sort of mishmashed together. And sometimes you can look at a character you've never seen before and possibly deduce its meaning because you understand its constituent parts. But part of as you learn Japanese or Chinese is you learn the radicals, these sort of fundamental building blocks of many of the characters. And on the test, there was a section on the radicals, and one of them I had never fucking seen before. And I was, as your boy studies, right? He learned the radicals that we were supposed to learn. And I remember getting it wrong. I made a, a good guess and I I got it wrong. And uh, the uh, it showed me the correct answer was water after I took the test. And I almost emailed the professor and said, hey, we've never seen that radical before. But thank Christ, I fucking looked back at our book and realized it was actually... um. Either the one I had learned was the traditional form and this was the simplified form or vice versa. But there was another part, excuse me, there was another part where um, I had another return answer that was wrong. And I looked at it and I thought I was I was 100% convinced I was right. And that happens. Yes, I did start talking about this, but I was saying, you know, it never hurts. Let the teacher know and they're human and they'll fix it. And uh, I remember sitting there at the dinner table with my girlfriend and just apropos of nothing, just going, ah, damn it. The teacher is right. She's like, what, what do you mean? I said, huh, I confused Shui Sheng with Ming Si. <laughs> Gosh, can you believe it? Ugh. And my girlfriend's just looking at me like, what the fuck are you talking about? And it was like, uh, yeah, I get it. It's almost like, uh, I don't know if you watch Sopranos, but, um, this happens with travel too. But it's like when you're really into something, you're talking about it all the time, and the people around you could not fucking care less about it. That could be this podcast in a nutshell. But um, there's an episode of the, the Sopranos where the one of the the leads, spoiler alert, he gets called off. Actually, one of the more interesting plot uh, or uh, character arcs on Sopranos, where one of the characters is a closeted game in. Um. But he was formerly very big, like many of the fucking people on the show. And one season, he just starts dropping a bunch of weight. And so he goes around just talking about how he's losing weight. And he's making everybody around him fucking crazy, talking about his diet and this and that and that. And uh, people do this with travel, too. It's like people spend a year in, like, Spain or something. And and every time you're hanging out with them now, every time they say, oh, it's like when I was in Spain in X, Y, Z. And you're like, okay. Everything circles back to a fucking Spain anecdote. That's my life now with Chinese. And unfortunately, I don't see it fucking changing anytime soon, folks. We have... Well, let's try to think about this. We have... This is episode 88. We have 12 episodes left of the podcast. I have... About nine weeks of summer school left. Most of those are going to be all Chinese. So you better fucking believe it's coming up on the podcast probably every week. And I think this podcast will... When I say end, who knows if it will actually end, but our original goal when we started this thing was 100, 100 episodes, and we will reach that probably a couple weeks after I start the fall semester. And so we'll see, man, if my if my school load is like, man, it's time to, look, you did 100 episodes, time to close the book and move on to something else creative, that could be the end of things. Um, but I will say the last, you know, maybe last week was a little little labored but I've actually felt this was fun today. The two episodes before that were a lot of fun. I felt like I was really just kind of in it. Not that anything I say is uh, super profound, but I do enjoy it when I feel like I'm just sort of talking from my heart. And, um, this one felt fulfilling to do and, uh, some other ones that felt fulfilling to do recently. So, uh, more and more I'm you know, I'm considering seriously continuing this past episode 100. If that sounds cool to you, great. Subscribe to the podcast, which you can on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Uh, Take a minute, please rate and review us if you want to. Um, Apple Podcasts especially. Give us five stars. Type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast. Uh, And if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. Otherwise, Video podcast, available now at thisismpod.com. Thisismpod.com. You see the episodes posted there. You'll see the most recent one with my mug on it, my beautiful, beautiful mug. And watch it there. Watch it on the website. Or click through to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Otherwise, this has been fun. I almost didn't, I almost didn't do it this week. I'm glad I did. Sometimes you just got to show up, invite the muse, and see what happens. Um, maybe find an opportunity in your life this week to do the same thing for yourself. You might surprise yourself. I don't think you always disappoint yourself. You're probably more likely to surprise yourself. So on that note, thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. And ciao. Right now.